Welcome to What She Said on 105.9 The Region. I'm your host, Candace Sampson. If you need more sleep, this is the time of year you've been waiting for with clocks falling back November 7th, which means brighter mornings and darker afternoons ahead. How do you feel about daylight savings time? Should we get rid of it altogether or keep it? That's the question we're asking over on the What She Said Facebook page today, so be sure to hop on over and chime in after today's show. But first, stick around for a great show, starting with Frankie Holness, who was first diagnosed with breast cancer in January 2021 and learned that it was metastatic breast cancer shortly thereafter. COVID-19 has played a role in her entire journey with MBC. She joins me today to share details about her journey through a medical system that is under immense pressure. Callie Boss is a psychotherapist and co-host of the podcast Talk Therapy Pod. Kelly joins me to discuss the loss of civility in our society and more importantly how to bring it back. With family and friends gathering again, it's important we remember how to interact without losing our cool over contentious issues. And Brody joins me with a action-packed week in entertainment, starting with Kristen Stewart, who is absolutely freakishly Diana, Princess of Wales, in the imagined and much-anticipated biopic, Spencer. Plus, a look at Tom Hanks as Finch, the lone survivor of an apocalyptic environmental disaster that erased all known life except him and his dog, Goodyear. And 13 Minutes, a throwback to the old days when natural disaster films swept the multiplexes. We are on the seventh of eight masterclasses on personal finance with Meridian Credit Union. And today, Teresa Valenti joins me to share 10 of the biggest mistakes women make during a divorce. You definitely want to stick around for this interview because the information Teresa brings is invaluable. Every woman going through a divorce should know to avoid these all-too-common missteps. Our relationship with work has changed drastically through this pandemic, and not only are employees pushing back against the status quo, but employers are shaking things up as well. Jamie Savage, founder of the Leadership Agency, an award-winning recruitment agency, is a disruptor in the HR and recruitment space. Last October, Jamie implemented a four-day full work week for her employees and joins me to share some of the details of the amazing success of this shift at her business. My final guest of this week's show just released her fifth studio album, Fight Left in Me, on November 4th, which takes a deep dive into the nooks and crannies and under-the-radar experiences of mostly women who are at a time of their life when their own personal identity is often tangled up with those around them. Toronto-born singer and songwriter Emma Cook joins me to share her single, Fight Left in Me. It's another full week at What She Said with interviews that empower, educate, and entertain. This week's show starts right now on 105.9 The Region. COVID has upended everything in our lives, but healthcare, without a doubt, has been the hardest challenge. 
particularly for those diagnosed with life-threatening diseases. Since 2016, Pfizer Canada has partnered with Rethink Breast Cancer, the Quebec Breast Cancer Foundation, and the Canadian Breast Cancer Network for the It's About MBC Time campaign to shed light on metastatic breast cancer and share the stories of those living with it. During this pandemic, amplifying these stories is more important than ever. My next guest, Frankie Holness, was first diagnosed with breast cancer in January 2021 and learned that it was metastatic breast cancer shortly thereafter. COVID-19 has played a role in her entire journey with NBC, and she joins me now to discuss. Welcome to the show, Frankie. Thank you for having me, Candice. I just want to start the interview by thanking you for being here. I always have such tremendous respect for women like yourself putting these awful circumstances who are still willing to share their stories. So thank you for joining me. It's so important. Uh, could you start by telling me when you first started to suspect you that something was wrong? I discovered uh, a lump in my right breast in last October. So this year has been, this October has been one year exactly where I discovered a mass in my right it was strange because it wasn't something I felt lying down. It was only when I was sitting up and if I kind of brushed my arm in a downward motion, I felt the the thickening on my right breast. Anyways, uh, my doctor who was in another city at the time because I was living in Niagara at the time, he provided me with a requisition and told me to send it off to an area to a mammogram specialist where I was to get a mammogram and an ultrasound. That was not done until January 12th is when they booked it. And I know that was due to COVID. Um, and then a couple of days later, they told me to come back in and I had a biopsy um, and I knew something was off because the biopsy, they pulled um, samples from not only my breast, but also underneath my armpit. So I knew that something was off because they told me initially that they were only doing it from my breast. So that was in January of 2021. How long was it before treatment started? What were sort of the delays that COVID caused? Well, just initially to find your mass in October and then to, to go for a mammogram and ultrasound until January 12th, that was a significant time change. Like I thought that was huge. And then even after that, they called me, my doctor called me the end of January, January 29th, I believe, and told me that it, they discovered it was invasive ductal carcinoma and that I would then meet with a surgeon. I met with the surgeon and she said they would have to, to meet with a team and to go over and assess my, my particular case. I didn't end up having any treatment or starting my treatment until the end of March. And I had my surgery April 4th. And then I would have my surgery, the actual cancer removed, not until April 4th. I questioned myself a lot that whole time period, because that's almost, that's more than six months from when I initially found it to how much that played a part in my cancer spreading. Because that was a huge difference in time there from when I found it to when I actually had the cancer removed from my breast. The delays must be so frustrating when you're dealing with something so important. And so now that you've started the treatment, is this still affecting things, the delays and the, you know, the, the system being under so much strain? Well, COVID definitely plays a part in all, like 
everything that you are meeting with, like even now, I recently met to get my my ovaries and my tubes removed. That's the next step in slowing down um, the production of estrogen. So my next step into slowing the growth of my cancer is I'm going to have my my ovaries and tubes removed. I was told by the surgeon a month and a half ago that due to COVID, they're only getting two week blocks of like appointments to actually book the surgery rooms. So it might be another two to three months before I even get that surgery. And this is due to COVID because they've allocated everything to just everything has been allocated for COVID as being the urgent, urgent one. However, you know, in this particular case, this is affecting the growth of the cancer that's spreading throughout my body. Possibly. You've been going through this journey now then since last October. Incredibly frustrating delays. Where are you turning for support, inspiration, information? Uh, have you turned to groups, individuals? I outsource groups such as Rethink for Breast Cancer, um, the Canadian Breast Cancer Association. I, I looked for these groups online. Um, to find, I've signed up for as many support groups as possible that I can just to speak with others in regards to their journey. Um, NBC Time, this campaign was a, was a great part for me to, to go out there again and spread awareness for it because a lot of people are not aware of just the whole process. They have a certain ideal in their head that breast cancer um, is maybe the good type of, I've heard that say, oh, that's the good type of cancer you have, the good type of cancer, like breast cancer. If that was the case, and now I'm metastatic and it's terminal, I don't necessarily say that that's the good type of cancer to have. So, yeah. And so actually, that, you bring up an interesting sort of I, um, thought here. Prior to being diagnosed with cancer, you know, and now you have been diagnosed, what were, what were some of the misconceptions about having this that you were maybe carrying around or that you hear other people uh, now share that you want to sort of lay to rest and say that's not true? Uh, one of the things that I've heard many times is, oh, you're too young to have breast cancer. You know, breast cancer doesn't affect you. Um, you have to be eating a certain way or look certain, um, living a certain lifestyle or you're a smoker or you're, you know, you drink a lot of alcohol. These are all things that play a role in you having cancer. I was told right from the get-go, oh, you know, this is all your diet. Just change your diet. And um, I've sent thousands of different documentaries on changing what I consume, what I eat. Um, but when you look out there, that's not the case. Cancer doesn't discriminate. It doesn't matter how great shape you are in. It doesn't matter what type of food you consume, vegetarian, whether you're eating a lot of greens. Cancer is affecting more and more young people. And that's another thing. They're telling you to get mammograms when you're in your 40s. However, when you're looking online, you're seeing women as young as in their like early 20s who are being diagnosed with cancer. And that is that is simply frightening because they need to do more. They really do need to do more. We actually, we, I just did an interview uh, with uh, Dr. Paula Gordon a couple of weeks ago. And we talked about, uh, you know, that uh, across the country, the, the inconsistency with screening times and, you know, that breast screening mammograms don't always catch it, especially for women who may have what they consider dense breasts. So there is a lot to women should know in educating themselves about this. Um, did you have a family history at all? That was something that I discovered after. Um, I discovered after, because when I met with the surgeon, that was the first thing they asked. Okay, well, what is your family history with cancer? 
Um, and now I've had, I've encouraged my daughter who's 24 to now go and navigate and to go to her doctor and say, hey, I'm 24 and this is the history that we have. She should be getting screened now. And again, she's faced with doctors who are saying, hey, no, you're too young for that. But hey, it's in our family history. I discovered it through my own diagnosis, but it wasn't discussed, you know. So now that we're aware of it, we're finding it more and more um, in distant relatives as well, that it is something that played a part, I think, in my own diagnosis. And I would like to, I'm curious about genetic testing as well to see if that played a role in my, in my cancer. So what would you say then for, for women who are now, um, you know, maybe facing this, this right now, what, would, what advice would you give them in sort of the early days? I would tell them to seek out as much information as they can. Um, look into organizations. There are a lot of great organizations that provide support. Uh, don't be afraid to ask questions. And I think for myself, like one thing I wish I had done a little bit more was Instead of just waiting when my doctor said, oh, the surgeon's going to call you. I wish I had been more um, adamant about it and been a little bit more aggressive in trying to getting those answers, questioning why my surgery was so how many months from the initial find, um, being a little bit more aggressive. But if you can find a great support group and, and find yourself a mentor, there's someone, there's someone out there who can answer those questions for you. However, keep in mind that when you were looking for mentors that understand that just because you may know somebody or someone might have gone through cancer, their cancer could be very different from your cancer because cancers, there's so much different factors. As you mentioned, dense breasts, there's estrogen progesterone, which is what my cancer is. There's triple negative. There are so many different cancers. And so there are so many different factors on how it's treated. And a lot of people want to offer advice on that. Well, my cousin had it or my sister had it. Well, all of that is fine. Yes. But keep in mind that the type of cancer that someone may have, their age plays a factor as well, whether they're pre-post-menopause um, um, or pre-menopause, all that plays a factor in how their treatment is, is, is dealt with. Okay. Frankie, thank you so much for joining me today. The website is nbctime.ca and I look forward to having you back on the show. Thank you, Candice, for having me. Take care. More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. If you have any social media accounts at all, you've no doubt noticed a rise in aggressive and cruel comments. Even worse is that behavior is spilling over to our lives offline, in public, and in our homes. How then do we maintain our civility when others are not? Kelly Boss is a psychotherapist, co-owner of Muskoka Mind and Body, a yoga and therapy studio located in Gravenhurst, and is the co-host of the podcast Talk Therapy Pod. She joins me today to answer the question, can we disagree lovingly? Welcome to the show, Kelly. Oh, thanks for having me, Candace. 
So I guess the question is, is it possible to disagree lovingly, especially when we consider all the divisive topics out there right now? Yeah, you know, I was giving this topic some thought and I know it's hard because I think we don't have a lot of bandwidth left in our in our world right now, in our life, like we are all feeling a little stressed. And so I think as things are opening up and we've just had so many issues too, right? There's just so many issues that weren't part of the conversation before and, and people having very strong opinions on different sides of things. I think, you know, obviously politics, religion, what were the three things you weren't supposed to discuss in play co- uh, company. I think it was politics, religion, something else. <laughs> They're all, you know, big parts of our conversation uh, quite frequently now. And so I think people are uh, having big feelings about them, which is understandable, but I'm not sure it always has to come at the expense of relationships, which I think we're seeing a lot more of now where people are sort of, yeah, really canceling we out. Really, or we really are. Things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, you know, like I've heard stories about people, you know, getting together at Thanksgiving and, you know, uh, fam- members not talking to each other across the table yes. because they can't find common ground on issues of things mm-hmm. like politics and religion. And let's not forget uh, the common one today is vaccines and masks, um, you yes, know, tearing absolutely. people apart. So how then do you suggest people in situations like that, especially with the holidays approaching, What's the advice you would give to people looking for that, uh, you know, to maintain calmness during these gatherings? Well, and I think often what we're not doing is we're going into fight or flight, right, in these situations. We're reactive. It's um, often not because we've sat down and had a dialogue or a peaceful conversation about the topics that we're reacting and or we kept silent for so long and then we burst or... We know someone's going to be like this, so we're preemptively stressed or reactive before we even go to the event. And I think this is where we really need to check in with ourselves, um, calm down, and notice that when things are coming up. What's my physiology doing? Because there's changes in that, right? What are the, the triggers we're noticing or the escalation? And can we notice that in our body and say, okay, well, this might be a good time to take a big breath to go for a walk, to change the conversation, to uh, ask everyone to keep a few things off the table so we can just have, you know, uh, Christmas on the table or whatever you're celebrating, you know? And so can we uh, maybe even plan for it sometimes because we know that people are not going to be able to have a civil discourse. And I think all this comes at the expense of civil discourse, right? When we're not hearing each other, when we're not able to listen, when we're not able to show empathy then we're not able to make any changes anyways. I mean, if someone's really mad about your position, are they just going to, are they going to get through if they just yell at you louder or longer? No, right? Like it's not going to happen that way. Do you think it's, it's to our benefit to try and see the other side, even though we may not agree with it? A hundred percent. I think that, yeah, I think that's really important. I think we need to demonstrate respect. I need, I think we need to slow down. And understand that the person's probably not got this information or these thoughts or these fears out of a vacuum, right? There's a personal experience. There's, uh, you know, their own health fears. There's their own anxiety or mental health issues that they might be struggling with. There's all kinds of things that go into 
someone having the opinion that they do or a, a viewpoint that they do. And so if we can sometimes stop and listen, maybe we won't agree with it and probably not. But can we understand it? And if we can understand it, then I think we can have discussions, you know, we can show empathy. We can try not to take it personally. Do you think that it's a good idea to uh, maybe do some role playing before these gatherings, you know, with uh, maybe your significant other or a friend to sort of prepare for possible interactions? Well, I don't think that's a bad idea at all. And I think sometimes that does give you the um, planning time or that you know what's coming. I mean, half the time, you know, this is not not unexpected. You know, similarly, how the discussions go or how they can get escalated so you could practice ways or discuss ways or just go in top of mind prepared you know and think okay I don't want to react this way or I don't want it to turn out this way what are my goals what are my objectives in this and it probably again you're not going to convince this isn't to silence yourself either like for some people I understand you have to to, there's certain things you're not going to let slide but or you have to stand up for or you have to have boundaries around But I think we can do that in respectful ways. And I can't help but think of people that have done restorative justice work. And if they can come together with someone, a victim and a perpetrator and have these discussions in a way, like, can we maybe talk (laughs) about mass or can we talk about differences of opinions? I think so. I think if there's, you know, those kind of extreme examples of grace and empathy or compassion or at least listening, then we can probably find it too. But again, we need to be well-rested. We need to be taking care of ourselves. We need to be thinking about what our goals are. We need to remember that people come from good places. There's a lot of things that go into that. Excellent, excellent advice as we head into, um, you know, a time when we can gather again. Uh, So thank Mm. you, Kelly, for joining me. Uh, We'll have you back again soon, uh, hopefully in the new year always love coming on. Thanks so much for having me. Joining me now for Saturday Night at the Movies is Anne Brody. And I want to jump into it because this week is fantastic. Wow, I can't believe what you've got. Yeah, biggie, biggie, biggie. So we'll start with the one that everyone's been dying to see, Spencer, with Kristen Stewart as Princess Diana of Wales. Her evocation of Diana is freakishly real. You know, the rushed, clipped accent that she uses the way she rushes when she moves, um, her eyes. She had this unique use of her eyes, fluttering them and using them and staring and looking from below. Just freaky, so good. Just very physical, very um, emotional, very stylish, stylized. So anyway, here's Diana driving herself to Sandringham Estate for the Royal Christmas Weekend. She gets lost, which is really funny because uh, she grew up next door to Sandringham. So she knew it was like a mile apart. She knew that area very well, but she still got lost. Fortunately, the chef, the palace chef, um, Darren, comes by and finds her and directs her to the, uh, to the castle. 
and she shows up late for everything. She she tries to go for meals, but she and she dresses, but she can't. She flies back to her room. She's haunted by the ghost of Anne Boleyn, who, as you know, was beheaded by her husband. And this was this is her fear. It's just so incredible. What a haunting film. It just chills you to the bone. And the criminal neglect that they that they <laughs> didn't give the gave her, whatever the term would be. It it's vile. And she was obviously full of problems and nobody ever recommended that she get help. And Pablo Lorraine, who did the film, they have an interview with him on the site. He interviewed people, staff members, her close staff members for a two-year period. So this is really juicy. Yeah, I have to say watching the trailer was a little bit eerie. The mannerisms that Kristen Stewart mm-hmm. has mastered for this are absolutely incredible. Um, I want to move on to Finch. I oh, yeah. love this trailer. I mean, it's definitely doomsday, but Tom Hanks, I God, I love that guy. Well, see, he makes this work because in my opinion, the trailer is really sappy. The film isn't sappy at all. It's very moving. It's about climate change. It's about earth death from climate change. It's about love. It's about helping. So he has a, he's alone. Everyone's been blown off the earth by all these vicious sandstorms that cover it. He, were, he lives in a factory. He has canned foods that he gets from abandoned grocery stores. Um, and he has a little robot. And a dog, the most gorgeous dog. And I've seen that dog in other movies. So <laughs> he's famous. Anyway, Tom Hanks is an engineer and he's building a new robot. And the specific reason for this is that he is terminally ill from climate change. He is about to die and he's going to train this robot to look after the dog. That's, oh, it just gives you chills. That just broke my heart. Oh, I know. <laughs> And Tom Hanks, there's nobody like him in, in acting. Nobody. His, the authenticity of his face, the way he can evoke emotion and just be so natural and not sort of florid about it. Just incredible. It, it, he's magic. And, you know, he tries to be optimistic. You just go through this period of time with him when he's trying to get away from the stand, sandstorms. And I, I mean, I'm, I feel like crying too. It, it's just so moving. So that's on Apple TV. So And is that a movie sure or a series, Anne? Movie. It's an Apple original movie. All right. Excellent. So, what else yeah. do you got for us? Okay. Only the Animals is kind of a strange film. It's about the interconnectivity of life and the five chapters, five different people, including a woman from Paris, uh, a cattle farmer in the French mountains, uh, a goat farmer in the French mountains, the wife of one of them. And uh, an African guy who scams them by computer. The movie is full of animals. So many animals, just these five people. And it is so pulse pounding. Uh, the husband is trying to, to uh, bring a, get a woman to have the relationship with online. It's the African guy who's pretending to be a woman. He takes all his money. The uh, goat farmer is com- it completely... Uh, mentally disturbed and he's having an affair with the wife it's just so wild and the things that happen would just your jaw will hit the floor just amazing all right well i got a minute left what else do we have to Whoa. get to oh tarzan and arab nasa the twin filmmakers gaza monomore 
It's about a fisherman in Palestine who falls in love and, but can he win her lady? It's so good. It's so humane and wonderful. There's also 13 Minutes, which I found to be a total throwback to the old dates of the disaster films of the 80s, early 90s. It's about a tornado going through a town in Oklahoma. And of course, everyone reveals who they really are. Quite interesting. And I'm, I want to say that Padma Lashmi's Hulu series, Taste the Nation is Back. And she, she goes to, uh, she finds out about four cuisines, Jewish, Cuban, <clears throat> Korean, and indigenous. And she's so charming and she loves food so much. It's kind of inspiring. So that's fun. And there's a whole bunch more on, on our website. All right. So you've got uh, all of these plus a lot more over on whatshesaidtalk.com. <laughs> and we'll see you next week. We'll see you next week. Thanks, Anne. Have a story for what she said? Email us at 1059theregion.com. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 1059 The Region. And I said, Over the last several months, we've been diving into personal finance for women with Meridian Credit Union. In our last class, we touched on managing finances through divorce, but it's such a big topic, we've split it into two. In the seventh of our eight classes, Teresa Valenti, Senior Wealth Advisor with Meridian Credit Union, is joining me today to share a few of the biggest financial mistakes women make through divorce. Welcome back, Teresa. Thank you, Candace. Great to be here. I honestly feel like I probably could have written this uh, one. <laughs> I've probably made every mistake, but let's try and go through them because you have a lot. So what's number one? Well, I think that this one is uh, most common for any of us who have gone through divorce, and that is making emotional driven decisions. So wanting to get out of the relationship, um, not wanting to argue or fight, or just wanting to wrap it up quickly can have um, big financial consequences. My recommendation for having gone through this myself is to take a deep breath, take a step back, and give yourself some time. Because that time that you give yourself will put everything in different perspective. Yeah, absolutely. I, I do recommend that to people now. I say take at least 90 days to just just sit on it and think about it because uh, you end up making mistakes when you're rushing it. Uh, what's the second one? Um, assuming that the division of property is 50-50 is equal. Um, so anything that's divided today may not actually be equal in the future. So overlooking uh, future taxes, capital gains, present value, future value, and also the transaction costs of diluting those future assets um, should be taken into consideration. This is a big one. The next one you have here on your list is huge. Let's get into the expenses. Yes, underestimating your expenses. Think about your future expenses and add inflation into that. Um, a perfect ex example is this year. So in January, 
the inflation rate was 1%. And in October, we're sitting at 4.4. So if you think about it, which was $1 in January, 10 months later, it's going to cost you over $4. So do not overlook the um, rate of inflation. I don't actually, anybody listening to this should not be overlooking that. That is crazy to think about. It is. It is. All right. Next up, what else? What's another mistake we make? Um, keeping the house and foregoing other assets. So while it may be nice to keep the house um, and not have to move, especially if there's children involved, may not be the wisest decision uh, for future. So that the spouse that's going to keep the house will have to requalify for the mortgage. Um, you will have maintenance costs as well as property taxes. And that could put the spouse that's keeping the home into a, a position um, in the future that may have a negative effect. Yeah. And number five, the next one on your list, I think this was really important because people you know, even if your divorce is super amicable and you think everybody's going to be on their best behavior, uh, word of advice, that doesn't always happen. So the next one is a big one. Yes, is um, not understanding that any debt that is incurred while married is a shared liability. It doesn't matter who spent the money. So if you have joint credit cards, freeze them so that there's no further transactions on them, um, that they're payment only. And keep up those minimum payments. Uh, creditors and lenders will not care if one spouse refuses to pay one month or if who spent the money. Um, keep up those minimum payments because you don't want it to affect your credit score for future qualifying. Yeah, absolutely. And even if you, you know, afterwards, your your ex-partner might go out on a spending spree and you are on the hook for all of that joint debt incurred, correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Uh, tell me about defined benefit pension, how that not evaluating that correctly. How does that work? So um, a lot of people do overlook this. So even though the um, employee cannot take the funds until retirement, it does have a value today. What And the non-employee spouse is entitled to a share of that for the number of years that they were married. Um, so hiring an actuary who evaluates pensions is definitely worth it. Okay. Number seven, I have to tell you, I did not think about this one. So uh, you've got my wheels spinning today. So tell me about number seven. So securing um, spousal and child support with life insurance and disability policy. So uh, the policy should be held by the person who is receiving the child or spousal support because you don't want those payments to not be paid. So the person who's receiving the payments hold the policy on the life or disability of the payer with the beneficiary being the receiver. It's such an excellent point. I am positive, positive that a lot of women do not think of this one. So thank you for, for telling us about this one because yeah. it's huge. Uh, next up, uh, what have we got? 
Um, overestimating your investment returns. So when you are uh, dividing the property, um, some of the assets that you may forego for other assets may not have the same value in the future. So, uh, you know, seeing a qualified advisor for some recommendations and advice on these uh, investments, because they may not give the returns that you are thinking, they may not even make a return at all in some years. So it is good to always um, get the advice of um, a professional. Yeah, absolutely. And that's where the financial advisors at Meridian Credit Union come in is, you know, just lay it all out on the table and have a very open, frank discussion about all of this, correct? Yes. Yes, absolutely. All right. Uh, uh, Beneficiaries and the will. Also really important, but I think we often just don't think about it because we're so flustered with everything else. Yes. And waiting, um, you know, and in the event something would happen, you could inadvertently leave um, your spouse as the executor of your will and the beneficiary. So you don't want to do that. As soon as you are starting the process of separating and divorce, change those beneficiaries on those registered products, update your will and your power of attorney. All right. Number 10, this one's big because I, when I, when I, my marriage was over, all I want was, I don't care what happens down the road. I just want out. Yes. And you're not thinking about 10, 20 years down the road, right? Yep. Consider your future and long-term security. So the decisions that you make today are going to have a huge financial impact on your future. So uh, getting the advice of a certified financial planner or a financial divorce specialist to be able to transition you through planning from uh, being married life into single life and not only put more realistic expectations on what that is going to look like, but be able to put a sound financial plan together for you. Yeah. And, you know, these stats for women are really um, a little bit soul crushing. I remember reading this on the Justice of Canada website, and I've mentioned it a million times on the show. Women's income is affected, but for about six years after a divorce, your income will go down, uh, particularly as a single mother. If you have custody most of the time, you, that's going to be affected. It will take you a long time to recover and come back up to that level of income, if, if, if ever. Uh, so future you, you really do need to think about and protect that because it's so important. You absolutely, exactly. Couldn't have been uh, said better. Absolutely. <laughs> That's true. And I think maybe when you do go through um, a separation and divorce, I think that you really, uh, you have that experience that you realize these steps are so important to cover. Yeah, it's it's crucial. So uh, if people want to actually go back and check out past ones, they can go to whatshesaidtalk.com to check out the previous ones we've done. But if they want more information from Meridian Credit Union, where can they go, Teresa? Yeah, meridiancu.ca, where you can find us. Um, we are also on um, on Facebook and LinkedIn. So please contact us. Um, we'd love to hear from you. All right, incredible. Teresa, thanks so much. Thank you, Candace.
comes to work, the pandemic has upended everything, including our relationship with work. The great resignation is in motion. Women are still struggling to find balance. And just about everyone is questioning some of our more traditional constructs, like working Monday to Friday or nine to five. Jamie Savage is the founder of The Leadership Agency, an award-winning recruitment agency. With Jamie's knowledge and expertise, she has become a disruptor in the HR and recruitment space. In October, Jamie implemented a four-day full work week for employees and joins me now to discuss. Welcome to the show, Jamie. Hi, Candace. Thanks for having me. So uh, first off, how did you come to this decision? Did you Were you researching it or did you just feel this was the best move? You know, the truth is um, we get asked a lot about the reference to how other countries and now some other companies are are making this change. And the truth and the reality is, is when we did this over a year ago, there weren't a lot of examples um, then that I used as benchmarks. It, it really came down to our reaction to, like what you said, our relationship to work. And, you know, we were all universally experiencing you know, a lot of change and in our personal lives, you know, there was a lot of, you know, social um, aspects that we were, you know, dealing with that were really important movements. And, you know, there was grieving, there was, um, you know, this, this change that we were all going through. And what I started to notice is, you know, what we started to pick back up again as a company, because we recruit exclusively for tech startups, is that when that dial started to move and companies started hiring again, it was like drinking from a fire hose. Like it was so busy. And, you know, we know what we know now, which is that, you know, there was a lot of deals being um, made and companies were starting to grow again and it happened so quickly. But my team was burnt out. It was visible. It was, it was, uh, you know, I could see it. I mean, I saw emails coming in 11 o'clock at night. I, you know, would see my team working on Saturdays and Sundays. And, you know, I, I was feeling overwhelmed and, you know, reactive to, to our new reality. And so I said to my VP of operations one day, I said, how are you feeling? I asked her, like, how is the team doing? You know, if I'm feeling this way and I've created a company that I feel safe to, you know, recognize this, you know, that's not their reality. And so I was like, I really want to know how the team's feeling, how everyone's doing. Um, and the response was, is, was immediate. It said, yeah, it, you know, we're overwhelmed where this is a lot. And so I said, we need to make a change because we're a bootstrap, <laughs> you know, startup ourselves. And if anyone can be agile and be flexible in, in, in things that matter in terms of employee well-being and mental health, you know, it's us. And so we, two days later, we're a four-day work with company. So you implemented this in October of 2020 then. So yes. you've now been running this for over a year. What have the results been? Yeah, so it was, it took about three months, I would say, for it just to actualize, you know, because there was a lot of learning that we had to do that we didn't realize that we had to do, which one of them being, you know, the key takeaways from this was we had to lead by example. So what I mean, what I mean by that is the leaders, you know, myself and the VP of operations and our director of recruitment, we had to, you know, also be offline on Fridays. We had to create a safe place for our employees to to do it as well. And um, the other was our communication and our stakeholders, you know, our clients, our candidates, the community, our network, our peer group, you know, how are we going to manage that? And it wasn't always easy. And so it took about three months for it to become actual and for the benefits to become something that we could recognize. Um, and 
you know, since then, our revenue has doubled. We've entered new markets. So we entered into the UK in January of 2021. We expanded our market share in the US. Uh, the United States represented about 40% of our portfolio. It now represents 60% of our portfolio. Um, our team um, are more engaged. They're more, they're more connected to investing in themselves, which is really important. And that's one of the main reasons why we did this. You know, they're taking their Fridays off and we can see it. Um, our team has grown. We're, we're bigger and stronger now than we were even before the pandemic. So um, all the ways that we traditionally measure our business um, have, you know, increased, but all, also the ways that it's harder to measure, which is, like I mentioned, the most important, your people. And are your employees, are they still working remotely or are you in office right now? So we're 100 percent remote right now. Um, and we don't know if and when that's going to change. You know, prior to the pandemic, we were 100 percent in office culture Monday to Friday. Now we are 100 percent remote Monday to Thursday. So a lot has changed. And, you know, I, I don't know what the future is, but I do know one thing. And that is that we will never go back to being a five day work week. That's incredible. Uh, you are an inspiration for a lot of people right now listening to this, but definitely for companies. Have you had companies approach you to ask you how you're doing this and, and how it's succeeding? Yes. And we've noticed that the tone and the approach has changed. So initially, when people started to catch on that we were doing this, you know, just through our, our peer group and, you know, the community that, you know, we, we invest in, people had, you know, caught on to what we were doing. And it was very high level. It's more conversational. It was more like, how are you doing this? Or why did you do this? Now it's like, okay, walk us through exactly the, the first thing that you did, the, the, you know, the second thing that you did, how did you measure it? But the, the questions are becoming a lot more tangible and a lot more executional. And so um, it, we can sense that the, there's where people are leaning into this, which is great. And you know, the advice that I give and I've given since day one is, is a couple of things. One is this should never, in my opinion, and this is what's worked for my company, should never be an exchange for something. So we didn't ask our employees to give us something because we were giving them something. So we didn't ask for, you know, uh, vacation time. We didn't ask for a decrease in their compensation. And we didn't even ask for them to cram 40 hours in four days. We said, just get the job done. You know, from Monday to Thursday, we're not going to track your hours. We're not going to request there to be, um, you know, an increase in quotas or, you know, tightness on KPIs. This was not an exchange, and that's really important. It's what worked for us. Two is that sense of communication. So once you communicate something, communicate it again and again and over again. So over communication. So really allowing your team and your employees and your leadership team to know what's exactly what's expected of them and, and to really communicate why you're doing this and how this is going to impact their lives. And so the communication is key. And then the third thing is really making sure that your leaders um, are completely on board and they know how to um, lead things like communication strategies. How are you going to communicate this to your stakeholders and to your clients and so on? Um, you know, time management, making sure that you're equipped to, to take on more with less time, essentially. And so really being able to um, invest and leverage, you know, those, those two things. Well, you are definitely walking the talk, Jamie. So if people uh, want to connect with you, where can they find you? Yeah, so uh, you can connect on our website. We have an information and an outreach um, page and, and contact us. So it's leadershipagency.com. 
You can reach out to me directly on Instagram, which is Jamie Hubanoff uh, Savage is my handle. Our um, leadership agency Instagram handle is leadership agency. And uh, our Twitter feed is We Heart Leaders. Thank you so much for joining me today, Jamie. That was great. Great. Thanks, Candice. More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. guest just released her fifth studio album, Fight Left in Me, on November 4th, which takes a deep dive into the nooks and crannies and under-the-radar experiences of mostly women who are at a time of their life when their own personal identity is often tangled up with those around them. Toronto-born singer and songwriter Emma Cook joins me now to discuss. Welcome to the show, Emma. Hi, Candice. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, I really want to touch on why you wrote Fight Left in Me, because I think this is going to truly resonate with so many women, this experience. Yeah. So, I mean, the whole album is really, um, I, I mean, it wasn't on purpose, but I really wrote the album kind of drawing on the experiences of myself as a mother um, and friends and just people around me sort of telling those stories that, you know, don't necessarily get told. And the the experience, the one song is in particular is about a breakup, but not what you would expect, right? Yeah, this is one of the songs on the album that is the, probably the most personal to me. Um, I wrote this kind of as a rally cry after um, a breakup with my very best friend who had been, we had been joined at the hip for years and years and years. Um, and, you know, it was the hardest breakup I ever experienced. And I think it's, it's a lot of women I know have actually had a similar experience. Yeah, that is a, tr- that's why I think this song will res- resonate with so many women is that breakup is often more painful <laughs> than a romantic breakup. It's so hurtful. So hurtful. And it, it hits you in a really different level. It's, it's, it's interesting. And so what was the experience writing the whole album? Did it come to you through COVID to write this, this album? No, actually, this was a pre-COVID album. Um, uh, we started recording before COVID and then we got sidelined. By, uh, <laughs> so we were, we were almost done recording and then, and then we had to stop and pick it up again. So, um, yeah, it's not actually a COVID album. Okay, so if people want to listen to your new album then, download it, uh, where can they find it? Where can they find out more about you? Yeah, you can go to Instagram slash Emma Cook Music, and that's where I'm the most active. Uh, I'm on all the streaming platforms, YouTube, Emma Cook, just Google it. All right, wonderful. We're going to close today's show with that fight left in me by Emma Cook. Thank you so much, Emma. Thank you. That's it for What She Said for this week. Stay up to date with our newsletter by signing up at whatshesaidtalk.com. And be sure to follow on social at What She Said Talk on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for videos of these interviews and more. Finally, be sure to subscribe to What She Said with Candace Sampson on Apple and Spotify to re-listen to this episode and find full details for all of today's guests. I'll be back next week with more What She Said on 105.9 The Region. At first I was afraid, but I
previous episodes of What She Said on 1059theregion.com.